This winter, L.L. Bean wants to help you get outfitted for all that's out there with tips and advice for heading outdoors and exploring all the possibilities of the season. Finding time outside can feel tough in winter, but it's just steps away if you turn your backyard into a winter oasis. Add a fire pit to keep you warm, some winter games to keep you active, and some all-weather furniture and outdoor blankets for chilling out comfortably. Just because it's cold out, that doesn't mean you have to be cold. For more fun ideas, easy how-tos, and inspiring stories, visit llbean.com slash guide. Since 1916, the National Park Service has worked to preserve our country's natural and cultural resources for all generations. Our national parks inspire more than 318 million visitors per year, and these unimpaired landscapes provide safe refuge for more than 600 at-risk species. Unfortunately, they also provide safe refuge to unwelcome wildlife. A 2020 ecological study in the scientific journal Biological Invasions revealed some startling statistics. The author's research found that more than 50% of all U.S. national parks are overrun with invasive animal species. They explained that only a system-wide effort could bring the resources, expertise, and capacity necessary to tackle the issue effectively. Turns out, defining what constitutes an invasive species is a bit tricky. Every definition describes an introduced organism that harms its new environment. Invasive species can endanger native species and impact local ecology negatively. They adapt to their new area easily, reproduce quickly, and outcompete other species for resources. I'm Jason Epperson. And on today's episode of America's National Parks, Invasive Plants and Animals in Our National Parks. Over 300 invasive species can be found across the 84 million acres of land managed by the National Park Service. Today, we'll tackle some stories and examples of how they arrive, how they've impacted the environment, and how park officials have tried to control them. Florida's Everglades National Park is the largest tropical wilderness in the United States. Roughly one million guests visit every year to take in its unique geography, extensive mangroves, and cypress swamps. Here, visitors get the opportunity to experience some of the country's most threatened species, including the Florida panther, the West Indian manatee, and the American crocodile. But you're more likely to see a species that isn't even supposed to be in Florida at all, the Burmese python. The Burmese python is a nocturnal snake species native to South and Southeast Asia. Wild adults average a staggering 12 feet in length, though there are records of some individuals measuring over 18. They're excellent swimmers and depend on having nearby water sources. 
They thrive in marshes, swamps, river valleys, and jungles. The Burmese python gained popularity in the exotic pet trade in the mid-1990s. Over 90,000 of them were imported to the United States between 1996 and 2006. Again, these snakes get huge. Owners found themselves overwhelmed and unable to care for them, subsequently releasing them into the wild. Coupled with the destruction of a python breeding facility in South Florida during Hurricane Andrew in 1992, the release of pet snakes caused an influx of Burmese pythons into the Everglades, a habitat with everything a Burmese python could want, including no predators. In their native habitats, these snakes operated within a system of checks and balances. They have predators like the monitor lizard and the honey badger, but this isn't the case in the Everglades. At best, they face competition with the American alligator, and often the Burmese python wins. This species is carnivorous, and while they can go long periods of time without eating, they'll eat if food is nearby. They have decimated local populations of raccoons, possums, bobcats, foxes, and rabbits. Cooperative adaptive management plans have helped officials understand the Burmese python problem and how best to mitigate it. Eradication is the necessary solution, but that's easier said than done. The National Park Service works closely with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission and the United States Geological Survey, as well as universities, to provide monitoring efforts, conduct research, and increase public awareness. Current studies are testing whether pheromones, chemical signals used for communication, can be used to attract pythons and capture them. Past tools included detector dogs trained to sniff out snakes. It is illegal to hunt in Everglades National Park, though the park does have the Python Removal Authorized Agent Program. Other management strategies are used outside of the park where hunting is allowed. The annual Florida Python Challenge is a multi-day contest that awards participants thousands of dollars for removing both the most and the largest pythons. Over 900 people registered for the event in 2022. Burmese pythons are protected, of course, by anti-cruelty laws in Florida, so participants go through training and all captured snakes must be killed humanely. It's an open question whether Burmese python can ever be eradicated from South Florida. An estimated 17,000 have been removed since 2000. The largest on record was a female that weighed 215 pounds. Their nocturnal behavior and preference for marshy waters make them tough to count, and accurate estimates on the number of pythons in South Florida aren't available. This makes it difficult to determine whether any removal problems are even making a dent in the population at large. Burmese pythons have grown to be a big problem, and the import of the species into the United States was banned in 2012. But it's not just animals doing the damage. Plants can also be invasive. In fact, invasive plants cover approximately 1.4 million acres of national parks. They can quickly overrun native plants and distract pollinators, reducing the chances of propagation for species integral to their natural ecosystems. Plants lie toward the base of the food web. Herbivores depend on plants, and carnivores depend on herbivores. Without plants, the higher tiers collapse. Invasive plants are often less nutritious for local wildlife than their native counterparts, and sometimes even create physical barriers to wildlife movement. 
Invasive plant management teams provide expertise and resources to national parks struggling with invasive plants. They aim to identify threats before they overwhelm parks. If an invasive species becomes widespread, then officials consider biocontrols. Biocontrols are typically a pathogen or insect that will only affect the invasive species, thus weakening its spread. Teams usually first target the areas of highest importance within a national park, such as historic or cultural sites. Some national parks face increased urgency because they contain fragile landscapes affected by climate change. Because of this, Acadia National Park in Maine has dedicated an intensive crew of passionate experts to mitigate the problem. quarter to one-third of plants in Acadia National Park are non-native. Of these, nearly two dozen are considered invasive, including glossy buckthorn, Morrow's honeysuckle, and Japanese knotweed. What's particularly concerning is that many of these plants have been around for over 100 years. They just haven't had the right conditions to thrive. Now, warmer temperatures brought on by climate change are waking up these so-called sleeper species. Fortunately, Acadia is leading the way in managing invasive plant species. They deploy an early detection and rapid response strategy. Staff survey parkland for invasive plants, remove them, and monitor regrowth. Over 100 sites are investigated each year. This method has proven successful with plants like the purple loosestrife, which the park has kept to a minimum since monitoring began in 1988. Unfortunately, climate change is driving most of Maine's successful invasive plant species. Warm weather can stress native plants, which have evolved and adapted to cooler climates. Invasive species, however, grow faster and thrive in longer growing seasons. They can quickly outcompete the plants that naturally support ecosystems found in Acadia National Park. Like the federal Burmese python ban, the state of Maine bans the import of certain plants into the state. As of August 2022, 33 plant species are banned, and that will nearly double when another 30 are banned in January. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick break for a message from our favorite place to search for the best campground for your national park adventures, Campendium. Campendium lists virtually every campground in North America and every type of campsite you can imagine. From remote backcountry tent sites to RV parks with water slides and pickleball courts, you can search by price, including free or by cell service, elevation, whether pets are allowed. Dozens of different search filters will bring you detailed user reviews so you can find the best campsite for your trip. Campendium is free at campendium.com or on the app, and you can upgrade to a RoadPass Pro membership to unlock an ad-free experience with more detailed cell service reports, public land map overlays, trail maps, and more. A RoadPass Pro membership also includes other premium apps like Togo RV and Road Trippers. Visit Campendium.com or download the app today and save $10 off a RoadPass Pro membership with code RVMILES10X.
Even after complete eradication, invasive species can leave a long shadow of environmental damage. One highly invasive species was finally declared locally extirpated in September 2022 after it was first introduced to the United States in the late 1800s. Unfortunately, it's still impacting other parts of the U.S. over 100 years later. The fur trade in the United States was a booming business in the late 1800s. Ranchers wanted to import a species that would give them a leg up on the competition. Their solution? A large rodent native to Bolivia and Brazil, the Nutria. Nutria are about the size of a raccoon, but look more like a beaver. They breed year-round, having up to three litters and a total of two to 13 offspring each year. Their fur is thick with a soft undercoat, making it popular with fur traders. But the collapse of the fur market in the mid-1900s presented a problem. Nutria were no longer needed because the demand for fur plummeted and ranchers couldn't afford to keep them. Many ranchers opted to release their nutria to the wild, and feral populations quickly established near the Gulf Coast. The species was not immediately viewed as a pest. Rather, it was promoted as a method to control aquatic weeds, leading to the translocation of even more nutria to targeted areas in the 1940s. By the 50s, it was clear that the estimated 20 million nutrias living in the wild were doing more harm than good. Nutria eat approximately 25% of their body weight in plant material every day, including roots. This makes it difficult for plants to rebound after they've served as a meal. When unable to find natural food sources, Nutria target agricultural crops and family gardens. Their burrowing habits can also damage water-retaining levees, building foundations, roads, dams, and boat docks. Nutria can now be found along the Gulf Coast, inland toward Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Missouri, along the Atlantic Coast, and increasingly in the northwestern United States, with isolated populations in California. Efforts to control Nutria include bounty systems, live trapping, permanent removal, and marketing the species as a potential meat source to increase its value and incentive for capture. Chemical poisoning is not an option because the only rodenticide capable of killing nutria is expensive, remains toxic for months, and may kill non-target species like birds and rabbits. Contraception is another option, but it's expensive, has not been well tested for efficacy, and again, may impact non-targeted species. Mother Nature can sometimes play a helping hand. In 2008, flooding almost eradicated Nutria in Big Bend National Park, but the species resurfaced in 2016. Nutria have caused severe environmental damage in ecosystems around the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. Officials began developing eradication plans in the mid-90s and in 2002 began removing the species from 800 square miles. By 2004, nearly all in the Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge were gone. The team expanded outward to surrounding areas, eventually covering half a million nutria-free acres. How did they do it? The key was finding entire colonies. Officials would live trap a nutria, sterilize and radio collar it, release it, and then track it back to its home base to find others. Trained dogs also sniffed them out. By 2020, officials had removed 14,000 around the refuge. 
Due to the environmental impact, unfortunately, the only remaining option was permanent removal through culling. Translocating individuals would have just moved the problem elsewhere. Non-lethal options like contraception simply weren't viable. Government officials announced that they had completely eradicated Nutria from the region in September of 2022. Prevention efforts that curtail invasive species are the best strategy to protecting vulnerable landscapes. That means heavy monitoring for any threats on the horizon. Yellowstone National Park has been keeping tabs on smallmouth bass ever since one was caught just downstream from the park. For good reason, Yellowstone has already been battling non-native lake trout since the 90s. These fish are large, consume native cutthroat trout, and swim too deep for bears, osprey, or otters to catch. Adding another invasive species to the equation may end in disaster. Even once successful solutions have been put to the test as animals adapt and landscapes change. Pinnacles National Park in California had a feral pig problem until 2003, when it simply fenced them out. The pigs were originally brought to the area in the 1700s to provide food and clear land, but eventually topped environmental carrying capacity and reached destructive levels. Feral pigs compete with native wildlife for vegetation. They cause soil erosion and reproduce quickly, making it difficult to control their numbers. The three and a half foot, 24 mile long fence constructed around the park allowed gray foxes, coyotes, desert cottontails, and mountain lions to pass either over or under, but kept pigs out. Until this past year, a juvenile pig was spotted squeezing its way underneath a section of the fence that had been dug out from wildlife repeatedly using it. Now the park is back on the offensive, with camera traps to monitor the presence of any additional pigs, and personnel are making extensive rounds to ensure the fence is pig-proof. Invasive species play a critical role in the already rapid rate of biodiversity loss in our national parks, but getting rid of them is complicated. It requires funding, expertise, labor, some unconventional creativity, and a cooperative effort between all stakeholders, including the general public. Here are some ways that you can help combat invasive species. First, be mindful of what you plant in your own backyard. Planting native plants is the best way to ensure that invasive species don't spread and that local pollinator populations of bees and other insects are well supported. Second, do your due diligence before getting a non-native pet and make sure you can care for it for the long term. If you're unable to keep a non-native pet, never release it into the wild. Instead, call your local authorities or rescue facility. For example, domestic cats have no native range and their status as an invasive species is controversial. Nevertheless, outdoor pet cats can establish feral populations if they're not spayed or neutered. They can also decimate local animals. One study found that pet cats permitted outdoors kill four to 10 times more wildlife than any comparable native predator. Third, decontaminate after recreational activities that involve bodies of water, or caves. This includes yourself, your pets, and your gear. 
Fourth, use firewood sourced from within a 30-mile radius. Invasive species can hitch a ride on wood, so it's best to get it locally to avoid bringing in an invasive species to a new area. Finally, stay informed and aware. There are volunteer opportunities to help with the removal of invasive species, and sometimes the public is called to report sightings or assist with eradication. If you've driven along state highways in Pennsylvania or New Jersey lately, you may have seen billboards about the spotted lanternfly. The spotted lanternfly is native to Asia and threatens countless plant species. It's now found in 13 states after first being recorded in Pennsylvania in 2014. Now, if you see it, kill it campaigns are encouraging the public to identify the species and remove it on the spot. Of course, make sure you know your area's rules and regulations and ensure your own safety before taking matters into your own hands. This episode of America's National Parks was written by Dr. Charlotte Hacker. Kelsey Skomberg is our script editor. Peter Shen is the author of our theme music and our audio editor. And I'm your host, Jason Epperson. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. If you're new here, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes delivered to your feed. If you're looking for photos and tips about visiting national parks, check out our America's National Parks Facebook group. And if you're interested in RV travel, we hope you'll also check out our RV Miles podcast and YouTube channel. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. And by Campendium, find listings and reviews for thousands of campsites for your next national park adventure at campendium.com.